This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. We welcome you today to the Marriage Today podcast. We're talking about marriage and we're, we exist to help every couple thrive in their marriage relationship. We're talking now in this series of programs on Marriage on the Rock. This was the first book that I ever wrote, the first marriage conference I ever did was Marriage on the Rock. We're talking about the four foundational laws of marriage. Critical, this is what saved our marriage. This is today, this is the foundation of our marriage relationship. And specifically, in this program, we're talking about the first law of marriage, which is the law of priority. Marriage has to be first. And we're going to go to that teaching in just a minute, but we're going to begin, Karen, with some questions from our viewers. Um, this one asks, my husband is always on social media or reading news articles. I even have to ask him to put the phone down when we talk. I've told him this bothers me, but nothing changes. Yeah, you need to go to counseling. Uh, you really do. I mean, I, I think that uh, she's—technology uh, is a wonderful servant. It's a terrible master. And people get addicted to it. Her husband's addicted to it. And so when you're always— when something's always in front of you, it violates the law of priority. The law of priority, God said, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. You leave, you have to, there has to be a reprioritizing. Leaving your parents doesn't mean you abuse them or forsake them. It just means they're not first any longer. And so when your spouse sits down with you and they're trying to connect, connection is essential. And research finds the harder it is for couples to connect, the higher their divorce rate goes up. So she's sitting there trying to connect to him. He won't connect. He's, I mean, first of all, is there, is he mad at you? Is he mad at you? You know, is there an anger issue there? Is, this, is he being passive aggressive? And so I think that, that I would say to your husband, let's go get marriage counseling because there's something wrong. There is something wrong. Yeah, I and, and I had a, I had a couple that came to me, really good couple, really nice Christian couple. And they came to me for counseling and her, and this was years ago when the Blackberries were big. And she says he's always on his BlackBerry. He never gets off his BlackBerry. And this is a very successful businessman. So we're sitting there talking about it in counseling, and he gets on his BlackBerry. And we're, we're sitting there talking, and we look over, and he's doing like this on his BlackBerry. And I said to him, do you even realize what you're doing? And he said, what? And I said, you are rejecting your wife. He said, I'm not rejecting my wife. And I said, do you feel rejected? And she said, totally. And he got it. I mean, it, it's like a light went on, and he understood I don't mean to be rejecting her, but it is rejection mm -hmm. when you're trying to connect to somebody and they won't connect to you. Right. Now, this is a question for you, Karen. My husband is in ministry and he's always working. I am resentful because his good intentions are keeping him away from our family. What can I do to change this? Well, we went through this too. You know, when we were first married because you were young. We were both young. And um, like you like to say in your sermons, you know, you had a fear of failure that yeah. you were going to fail. And so, you know, you're. You were really a hard worker. You've always been a hard worker, even a scrub a dub car wash. Yeah. And so, um, but you know, and so because of that fear of failing, you, you put yourself in 150% and you have a young family at home and a wife. And, um, and we were so young. And so I just think this is a, something like you just said from the last question. They probably need to get some counsel 
because um, that's what helped us. You know, I, you know, I, I'm always a big believer, especially in ministry families. You know, don't let things stay hidden. You know, because there's help for everybody, and everybody needs help, whether you're a minister or not. And so, you know, find find somebody in the church, an elder or another senior pastor, somebody that can, you know, you can confide in and say, you know, I'm just worried about, you know, the workload and him not having time for the family. And I think that would be that would be good. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm going to tell the story, actually, in this teaching about when I was a young pastor and you were complaining, uh, rightly complaining about me working all the time. But I tell I tell pastors all the time. God is first, and then your family, but God is not church. On your list of priorities is God, family, and churches down here. And uh, a lot of times, pastors get that confused, and they feel as though when their wife is complaining that he he's, has to make a choice between God and his family, and that's just not true. My, God means my personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, family means my family. But then churches, my occupation at the church, my ministry is comes underneath that. And the other way to say it is, you don't want a pastor who doesn't take care of his family. Mm-hmm. You know, so the family comes first, and then the church comes later. We hope that this is helpful. We're going now to the teaching on the foundational law of priority. If you're watching us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you're watching, please leave us a comment and subscribe to our channel. Right now, we're going to go to this teaching. In Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, God says to the church at Ephesus that has fallen out of love with him, remember where you fell from, repent, and do the deeds you did at first. When Karen and I fell out of love, the way we fell back in love was very simple. We didn't have any emotions. We didn't like each other. We thought that we had made a mistake, and we were both very scarred in our marriage. But we began to do what we did when we first fell in love. We began to pursue each other. I, I, first of all, I told her I was sorry. I hung up my golf clubs. We made each other first. We began to be together and, and work at the relationship. Let me say this. Within several weeks, we were more in love than we'd ever been before. It didn't take forever. If, if you're, some people say they're out of love. We, I understand. We had no emotion in our relationship except, except for negative emotion. Several weeks later, we were passionate about each other. Now listen, listen to me. When you start violating the laws of marriage, the devil always comes in to tell you that you made a mistake and the only answer is to divorce and all that. All you have to do is put each other first and start working at it. And you'll get the love back. Let me go to the third law of marriage. The third law of marriage is the law of possession. And that means God created marriage to share everything. He says they too shall become one flesh. For this cause a man shall reprioritize his life. And his parents, now they're not gonna be first any longer. And he's going to work hard to pursue his spouse. And by the way, that's addressed to men there, working hard to pursue your wife. And they too shall become one flesh. And what this means is we share everything in this marriage. And this this is gonna sound like kind of a, a, a simplistic statement. Marriage is about sharing. It doesn't matter if you have kids in common. It doesn't matter if you share the same house. It doesn't matter if you share a checkbook. Do you share a life? Marriage is about sharing. And when the Bible uses the term for intimacy in marriage, it says one. Now here's what this means. Everything before you got married that you owned and administrated individually, now you do it together with no exceptions. It's our money, it's our time, it's our children, even from a blended family. 
And let me say this, one of the most important things in blended families is giving your spouse ownership of the children. And I'll say something else about that in just a minute. It, they may not be the biological parent, but they have to have full ownership. Anything that I will not give to you going into the relationship will create problems in our marriage. In fact, it creates jealousy, just the way that I said before. But here's the way that people violate the law of possession. One is dominance. Some people, and it's very common, in most marriage, marriages, there's a dominant partner, in most marriages. But dominance destroys the passion and intimacy of marriage. Men and women are totally equals in every way. Karen and I never discuss who the boss in our marriage is because Jesus Christ is the boss of our marriage. And we were totally equals. But when we first got married, I was dominant. You can be dominant through the force of your personality. You can be dominant through intimidation. In other words, you're going to pay a price if you cross me. You're going to pay a price if you speak your mind. Uh, you, can be, you can be dominant through manipulation. But dominance is as common for men as it is women. And women as it is men. It's not a male issue or a female issue. It's a gender neutral issue. But dominance simply means I'm not going to share. It's mine. Basically, it's mine. And I'm going to control it. It's my kids, my money, my house, my schedule, whatever it is. And so, but it's always destructive. They've done studies on dominance and it's always proven where you have dominance present in a relationship and to the degree that you have dominance present, it lowers the satisfaction of the marriage because there's one spouse being dominated. They're not an equal, they're not sharing. They're, they're being controlled basically. Another problem with the law of possession is independence, is that I'm just gonna do my own thing. I counseled a couple one time and she said, well, he goes to that side of the house and I go to this side of the house. And she said, I sit over here all night and he sits over there all night in his office gambling. And she said, that's our marriage right there in a nutshell. And she had done everything she could to try to reach out to him. And, uh, and I told him, I just said, you know, marriage is about sharing. And he, he was independent. And marriage is brutal on selfish people. Marriage is not about independence. Marriage is about interdependence. If you want to be independent, stay single. But even if you're single, you're not independent. You need God. We're dependent upon God. Independence and selfishness destroys a marriage. Interdependence. I need you. I didn't get married so I could live alone on that side of the house. I got married so I could share my life with someone. Another problem with, uh, with the law of possession is protection. And let me go back to the blended family issue just a minute. I've counseled a lot of blended families where they get together and the, there's children from a previous marriage. Maybe they didn't want the marriage. Maybe they don't trust the spouse or whatever. I counseled one couple in particular. He had no authority over the kids. And it's typically better, especially when the family is new, when the marriage is new, if the biological parent does the discipline. That's typically better. It just makes sense that if, you know, they're my biological children, I'll do the discipline. But the non-biological parent has to have full authority to discipline if necessary and to protect themselves. And some people say, listen, you know, they've been through a hard time and I just don't want to do that. In fact, one is one woman said to me, I don't trust him with the kids. And I said, in other words, you trusted him with your life to marry him, but you don't trust him with your children. And what happened was he was in the home and he was a fair target. These kids, these kids were coming after him every day with actions and words that was ruining the quality of his life. And he said, I can't take it anymore. And I turned to her and I said, listen, he's got to have uh, ownership of your children. And she said, I won't. I won't. There are no exceptions to this. And this is, a, this is an interesting scripture. This is 1 Corinthians 7. It says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is so profound that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is saying, when you get married, you actually give authority sexually of your body over to your spouse. This is not a license for abuse. This is just a license for use. And what this ensures is the fact that I'm not going to use my body against you or as a weapon or as a bargaining chip. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This is not my body. This is your body to take care of your needs. And that is the spirit of marriage the way God designed it. They too shall become one flesh and protection. I'm I'm not going to protect the kids from you. I'm not going to protect the money from you. We're partners. We're going to make all of our decisions together. You establish the law of possession in your marriage by asking your spouse's input on every decision and never making a decision without your spouse and never making your spouse pay a price for telling you the truth. The spirit of a good marriage is we're partners here. We may be different. We may have different money languages. We may have different needs. We may have different perspectives, but that just makes us better. That just makes us stronger. I'm not going to make a decision without your input. And our relationship is more important than the issues. We share everything. It's the word my destroys marriages. It's our, it's our children. It's our schedule. It's our home. It's our money. Prenuptial agreements are a death sentence to a relationship. A prenuptial agreement basically just says, I'm not going to give you this. This is, I don't trust you with this. And if we divorce, I don't want to lose the aquarium in my Volkswagen. <laughs> and the aquarium and the Volkswagen then become this despised object in the home that your spouse knows. They love that more than they love me. He said, what if we get a divorce? It's going to hurt really bad and you're going to lose a lot. So you better work at your marriage. (laughs) Listen, is it any surprise that things end badly when you've planned the end from the beginning? When you get married, we say these words, till death do us part. We're going to work hard at our relationship and we're going to learn about marriage because this is till death do us part. We're going to be happy or we're going to be two old, miserable people but we're not getting out of this thing. We're going to stay committed to it. There's one other law of marriage, just the law of purity. It says the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. This is before the fall. This is before sin entered the Garden of Eden. Isn't it wonderful that God, by the way, the word Eden means pleasure and delight. God God created marriage in a place that means pleasure and delight. And he, he created Adam and Eve naked. Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that just great? They were naked? I mean... 
You think about how God created marriage, it was great. And, uh, and so they were naked until the fall. And you remember after the fall, the first thing that happened is they put on fig leaves and they began to hide from each other. Now listen, they put the fig leaves on their genitals, which are the areas where you're different and you're most sensitive. Those are the most sensitive areas of your body. What's the point? When you're living your marriage in purity, you can expose your differences and you can talk about all the sensitive areas of your marriage without a problem. But when you have sin in your marriage and you're sinning against each other, you cannot trust each other and you have to hide your differences and your sensitivities. When Karen and I got married, I was verbally abusive and dominant. And um, I didn't know my wife. I didn't know I didn't know my wife, but you know, I had so hurt her through the things that I had said that she was covered with fig leaves. I mean, literally, she, she wasn't gonna tell me about the sensitive areas of her life because you know, when I got mad, I would take advantage of it. And I was just insensitive. When I repented in living in purity, the law of purity just simply means this. I have to be careful about what I do because everything I do affects you. And when I make, when I make a mistake, I have to take responsibility for it. Those are two things I didn't do. I wasn't careful and I'd never said I was sorry. And I didn't know my wife. I, we, we didn't have intimacy. We had sex. She was good about meeting my sexual needs, but we didn't have any intimacy in sex because we didn't know each other. We didn't talk on any deep level. I went to Karen and I asked her for her forgiveness when I hung my golf clubs up and when the Lord began to change my heart. Um, I asked for her forgiveness and she forgave me. And she said, Jimmy, you really wounded me with your mouth. And I said, I understand that, Karen. I said, I'm sorry and I ask you for forgive me. And so the fig leaf started coming off her. And she began, it didn't happen overnight, but you know, after several weeks and several months, I noticed that she began to tell me things I didn't know. And one day she was talking to me and she told me something and I said, well, how long has that been going on? She said, well, years. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me that before? And she said, I couldn't trust you. But today the sister's naked. And... Uh, <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> Life is real good. But, you know, you can live in the same house, but I'm not, if you got a mouth on you, if, if you hurt my feelings and you're disrespectful to me and you're sarcastic and you're critical and you won't take responsibility for it, you think my heart is a holy of holies and it's a sensitive place in all of us. We're more, all of us are more sensitive than we would want to admit. I cannot trust my heart of hearts to somebody who won't take responsibility for their behavior. When you're careful in the way that you treat each other and when you take responsibility for your mistakes, the fig leaves come off. And when it says the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed, it meant mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, they could talk about anything without shame. No shame. I'm not, I'm not afraid in any way that you will reproach me because I trust you. You're my safe place. You're my safe place. So your spouse, we should be each other's safe place where I will be careful and if I do something wrong, I'll take responsibility for it. But remember, blame transfer was the original sin of marriage. God came to Adam and said, Adam, what is this that you've done? He said, it's her fault. <laughs> Eve, what is this that you've done? Devil made me do it. I honestly believe if they would have taken responsibility for their issues, that God would have had a different response to them. I really do. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. 
And I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out xomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.